Good morning and welcome to another episode of From Sunday to Monday, the podcast of River Oaks Presbyterian Church. This is Ricky Jones and I want to thank you for tuning in. Today's podcast will be the third and final um, bit of our seminar from last Thursday on the gospel and race. In this recording, you'll hear me uh, discuss my goals for people in the seminar the reality of racial injustice, and and my encouragement for people to do something about it. Uh, I do want to warn you that I use some very strong language, uh, some inappropriate language in this seminar. It's quoting other people, uh, and I'm doing it to be accurate to, to what I'm reading, not because I approve of that language, but I want you to hear that it's coming. Hour. This is the third installment of the Gospel and Race from River Oaks Presbyterian Church. Thank you all for coming and spending a Wednesday with us. I got a lot of stories to tell, um, but uh, and I'm going to try to be brief and, and to the point and give you all a chance to kind of um, process this information. I think one of the things you have to be ready for is an emotional reaction. Um, our emotions are very valuable things. They uh, let us know that we've been threatened and they cause us to respond to things. Uh, but you kind of have to let those emotional reactions go and just listen. That's all we're asking. Uh, and when I was a campus minister, I used to take students to uh, St. Louis. I'm just, oh, shucks. Tim, I'm going to need you to open this back up just a second. Um, you can come get it if you want to. Um, I used to take students to St. Louis all the time for a, a spring break trip where we would work with uh, an interracial church, and they really focused on getting people to see and to admit that there was a racial problem and kind of embrace their own part of that problem. Um, the interesting thing about it was it, it just took a long time. So... Uh, one year I took a group of students. On the second day, this big, hulking uh, country boy from Greenville, Mississippi, I thought he was going to kill me. He was so mad at me. You brought us down here wasting our spring break, and all they're doing is telling us we're racist every day. I said, just listen, man. Will you just listen? That's all I'm at. I don't, you don't have to agree with a the thing they say. Just listen. Uh, the funny thing is, by the end of the week, his mentality had changed. He ended up going back down there that summer. Uh, he ended up working for that church for four years, moving into an all-black neighborhood, um, and uh, became the president of the neighborhood association. It was pretty funny. When he first moved in, They, uh, everybody kind of was real cold to him, and he asked his pastor, he said, I drive around in my pickup and I wave at everybody. Nobody waves at me. What's going on? Why don't, you, why don't anybody here like me? And the pastor said, well, you need to take that Confederate flag off the front of your truck. you got to understand that's not, that's not well accepted here. <laughs> so, um, you know, any, nobody has too far to go. Um, but it is a reality. And, and I, I just want you to – I have three things. I'm going to kind of talk generally tonight. But I have three things I want you um, to understand. First, I'm going to read to you from James chapter 2. My dear brothers and sisters – how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? 
Listen to me, my dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? It is good when you obey the royal law found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. Uh, really, all I want to, to try to communicate tonight is, is three things. And, and the first thing is, uh, and if we can just get, really, this is just the goal for the whole month. It would be a fine goal to have accomplished. I want us all to be able to acknowledge that we live in a world where social and racial injustice exists. Now, I chose every word in there very carefully. Um, I, used to, I used to try to convince people that everyone was racist, and A, that was wrong. That's just a, a wrong use of the word. And B, it was stupid. But... Um, but we live in a world where, where racial and social injustice exists. A lot of that is, is purely financial. A lot of that is simply a result of social economic uh, issues and people not being able to, to move where the power is. There are power structures. There are places where the power is in the world. And those places tend to be social places. Uh, if you are... Uh, you know, if you're a businessman and you want to make business deals, you don't only go to your office. You also have to be in the right church. You have to be in the right country clubs. You have to be in the right, uh, you know, the rotary clubs and those kind of things where, where the power structures exist. That's just the way life is. Now, it's hard for anybody who's not born in those circles to break into them. Um, I, I know that because I was one of them, right? I grew up a, I grew up a poor, redneck um, from Dresden, Tennessee, with, with racist parents. My last name is Jones, and my mom still to this day would just laugh and laugh about the day when I came home from school and asked if I was cousins with David Jones because David Jones was black, and she just thought that was hilarious. And uh, my, my dad, if he wanted to, you know, teasingly kind of threaten us, you know, it wasn't, you know, you better, you better shape up or you're gonna, not going to go to Disney World. You know, the, the typical threat in our household was, I'm just going to take you in the car and go drop you off in Niggertown. That's what I'm going to do. Um, that's, that's where I grew up, okay? For me to go to Vanderbilt was possible, obviously, but I still didn't fit in. I had to learn things. I had to learn how to speak. Literally, uh, you think my enunciation is bad. It's infinitely better than it was. Infinitely. I had to learn not only to not use words like ain't, but I had to just completely change the way I enunciated. I had to learn how to dress. I had to throw away my, my uh, airbrushed shirts, right? And uh, I, was, I, I was informed that tank tops were right out, that anything that revealed armpit hair wasn't going to get me the dates I wanted at Vandy. But all I'd say, that was possible. That was possible. Um, I could, after about a year and a half, it is longer than you might think, look and talk and move like anybody else at Vanderbilt. A black kid never can. 
He never can. And and that's a that's a reality. That's what makes it that that's what makes the jump worse for people of different races. Um, Anthony Bradley is a PhD. He's a professor at uh, King College in East Tennessee, and um, a writer. He graduated from Covenant Seminary. He's in the PC. He was in the PCA. I think he actually got out, but. Um, he uh, joined the PCA in the 90s. He still writes for World Magazine. You can read some of his articles. Uh, wrote, he writes a lot about the necessity of evangelizing poor whites these days, uh, some really good stuff. But this is what he wrote recently on Facebook, and I thought it was valuable. Because it's current, right? It's always tempting for us to use racist stories from, like, Mississippi or racist stories from the 19th century. So I, I just want you to pay attention to the dates on this, if nothing else. As a Covenant Seminary student in the mid-1990s, coming out of RUF, uh, another black student and I were paraded around the PCA during our first spring break to a number of churches and nearly auctioned off by different churches and presbyteries for church planting consideration. My flash, it's kind of referring to something that happens in a movie called Get Out, my flash came on from 2004 to 2011 when for almost seven years I was publicly and repeatedly called nigger, Anthony Bradley, the Negro prince of the PCA, the token Negro and filthy pervert and a stain on the bedsheets of life, Anthony Bradley, the affirmative action PhD, Afro-Knee Bradley, the PCA darling, is an illiterate nigger, and more, by white reformed people on blogs and Christian radio across the country. My black seminary roommate and colleague had his own flash moment, but that's his story to tell. Men like Carl Ellis and Y. Plummer never experienced this level of public humiliation, and Lord willing, folks like Jamar Tisby never will. It's interesting to watch up-and-coming black millennials who are recent grads of Westminster, RTS, Covenant, Calvin, and others at St. Louis, in different, he lists some different conferences, take the stage and speak so freely about how the PCA and SBC and evangelicalism need to change on race without ever having to worry about experiencing what I did uh, from 2004 to 2011. You can Google Anthony Bradley Exposed, for example, if you want to look that up. Uh, good for them. They have it a lot easier than I did for sure and can hope and hopefully move the ball forward. Many people who are always asking me about my tone, were silent about the tone of Reformed folks calling me racial slurs from 2004 and 2000 to 2011. Where were y'all back then? It's not okay. It's not okay. And there's a lot of things that are just, that are current that are not okay. And that is one of the things that we want to do is to develop an awareness of the not okayness and to develop an awareness of what, what creates it and what continues it. And it's important that we talk about it here because it's usually talked about in public settings or in context of government changes and government can't fix this. It really can't. There, there are some things that it can do, but it's very limited. Only the church can address the heart, and yet the church has failed to do it. Um, 
And so that, that's the, the first thing we want you to do is just to acknowledge the social, economic, and racial injustice exists. And, and the second thing I would like for you to do is to develop an awareness of what creates these injustices. Um, and along those lines, let me just say a couple of things. I want you to understand the world we live in right now. Um, you know, there's a, everybody's aware of the, the uh, segregation in Tulsa between North and South, and, and you've heard the stories of the riot uh, in the 20s. The interesting thing, though, is if you ask Philip Abode, who uh, is an African-American pastor in North Tulsa, he'll tell you that he does not think it was the riot that's caused the primary problems uh, for the African-Americans in Tulsa. Uh, as a matter of fact, he says there was a, there was a significant bounce after the riot and, and the black community was coming back. Uh, what he points to is really decimating the black community was uh, desegregation of the schools. Because when the schools were desegregated, and this is the government, and they're trying, right? Everybody's trying. But when the schools were desegregated, there's all this fear of what, what are these black people going to do to our school? And so every family, one family at a time, nobody necessarily got together and said, well, they did, but we'll forget those people. Most people didn't get together and say, how can we oppress blacks and keep them down? Everybody just decided what was best for their family. And by everybody just deciding what was best for their family, everybody who could afford to moved out of those neighborhoods or sent their kids to private schools. And it created this integration, this uh, segregation that, you know, 40 years later we're still living with incredible inequities. Um, another thing to, uh, another example, um, we talked a little bit about laws earlier. Um, and just to change the subject from black-white to, to brown-white, um, you know, one of the big things you'll hear a lot of people say is, you know, they're not against immigration. They're against illegal immigration. Nobody talks about how much it costs to immigrate legally. Um, it's an eight-year waiting list and thousands of dollars for a Mexican to come into America legally. Legally. If your family were starving to death, you think you'd wait that long? And we've kind of peacefully lived with illegal, illegal immigrants for the last hundred years or so. Everybody knows they exist. We have uh, many pay taxes. I can introduce you to people in, in uh, Raul's church, Pacto de Gracia, who pay taxes every year. They have a tax ID number. They are illegal immigrants. The government knows they're here. The government takes their money. But it's against the law. They get arrested. They, they're afraid of, of, of uh, if they have a blinker out, they're going to get deported. As a matter of fact, the reason why this, this room was built, uh, re, not built, but renovated, painted, um, and prepared, the whole kitchen was prepared by uh, Hispanics, primarily Mexican workers, who worshipped here. And they quit worshipping here on November, in, in November because they truly and deeply believe that coming to South Tulsa, they'll get pulled over for driving while brown and be deported. They, they firmly believe that, and they told Raul, we will not come back and worship as long as you're in South Tulsa. That's the world we live in today, and that's not okay. That's not okay. And so 
I, all I want us to do, really, I want us to, to acknowledge that injustice exists, see the, the social, and again, power structure, see what, we, to develop an awareness. Nobody's taught you this, right? This is the first some of you have heard of this. It's, it's new. To understand that, the, to become aware of the power structures that continue these issues. And they've been that way for a long, long time. Something I just learned this year. Um, the city of Nashville and the city of Atlanta did not have police forces until after the Civil War. Isn't that interesting? Stated, we need police to keep the blacks away from the whites. That's why they came into existence. If you wonder where the, the resentment uh, that, that young blacks have against the police comes from, it goes way back. You know, it goes back generations. It's not a new thing. It didn't start even in the 60s when, when uh, African Americans were being beaten uh, by police. It goes way back. We, we, we just need to know that. I'm not blaming you. I'm just telling you, you need to know. I want you to develop empathy. Uh, I want you to develop an awareness. And then from that point, understand that the status quo is destructive. I, I don't know. You know, we're going to try to find some action points. I want everybody to do something. Uh, but I don't know what it's going to be. But just understanding, once you understand that racial injustice exists, then you can begin to understand that it's not enough just to maintain the status quo. That we can do something. 